Welcome to Younger Older. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and we're here on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, really a ministry of Silver Birch Ranch, and we invite you to go check those websites out. Um, this day, I'm with a good friend, Bill Hilligans, and Bill has been on our Silver Birch Ranch board. He's been a part of this ministry for how many years, Bill? Uh, approximately 23 years. I think this is my 23rd year coming up here. Wow. That's a long time. And you look so young. <laughs> <laughs> you keep young if you keep coming up here. <laughs> yeah, you do. And you're from where? I'm from Cedar Lake, Indiana. It's about an hour outside of Chicago, just in the upper uh, corner of Northwest Indiana. What do you do there? I am a youth pastor. been a youth pastor for a long time. At the same church for a long time? Well, it was a community Bible church, but then we merged with another church called Bethel. But yeah, I've been on the same campus, had the same office for a long time. Yeah, have you learned anything during that time period? Uh, I've learned to trust God because you never know what's around the next corner, especially in youth ministry. But my trust in God has grown and grown and grown and just uh, given it to him. Now, let me ask you this. If I came to you, I'm a young guy, and, and I'm, I'm really excited because uh, I, I love our youth group. I grew up under your teaching. So I want to be a youth pastor. What, what would you tell me to do? I would tell you to uh, really guard your heart. Um, I think um, learning to understand that communication is the big part of youth ministry. It's not about the bells and the whistles. you got to stay faithful to God's Word. And you have to build relationships, relationships, relationships. And if you're not willing to do that, then youth ministry is not going to work for you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because relationships is the only way that God described Christianity. Yeah, and I think we see that uh, God's relationship with us, that he loved us so much, sent his son into the world. I mean, and that relationship with Jesus Christ, when we have that, it changes lives. And I think when you are able to be a part of kids' lives, that you actually care about them, they will respond to what you say, either in teaching or the one-on-one -on -one mentoring. Yeah. You know, this morning I was doing a seminar, and I was talking about the fact that God loves us, and because of that, we have choice. I mean, we can choose mm -hmm. to accept his love or reject his love. And the real special part of love was that God wanted me. He didn't need me. You know, I mean, that kind of thing. The kickback I got even was amazing from some of the kids who are good thinkers. They came. How, how could God create people and give them choice? I mean, how can he do it? Uh, if, if I came to you and asked you that, what would you say? I, I've been asked that question many times, and it's like, why, why would God, why doesn't God just want us to do it his way all the time? But I mean, if we were robots, then it wouldn't be true love back. Right. And so uh, he didn't want us to be robots. He wanted us to have choice to love him as he loved us. And so, yeah, he doesn't want a robotical type of love. You know, the, the funny thing is so many times when some young person talks to me about that, I think, really? You, you want God to force himself on you mm -hmm. so that you have no choices in life. This is really what you want? It's not what they want in life, and it's really not what they want from God, but they want to see God that he, he doesn't have choices that are bad. He, he just wants us to do the right thing and go along this way, and then that takes all of our um, decision-making out of the process. Yeah, and believe it or not, our decision-making is valuable. That if, if, you, if the decisions you make have no meaning, then there is no love. 
There is no love. And one of the things I talked about this morning was doing the little things. And, and we miss the little things so much. We live in a country where anything is okay all the time. And um, we just don't really do the little things. And we make when we make the choices in the little things, it leads to bigger things. And, and so following God in those little things, I think, is so valuable, especially in the lives of teenagers today. Right. You know, it's, a, it's incredible when you think about... Um, You've been working in youth work for over 20 years. Yes. This is my 54th summer here. So when I look at that now, I wasn't working in youth work when I first came here. I was I was the youth work <laughs> when I first came. But I've lived here now uh, 40 years and been ministering to kids. And, you know, things have changed a little and what we have to do. Uh, let me describe to you what, what has changed in my mind. And then I'd love to hear what you think has change through the years that you have to deal with as far as just talking to young people. Uh, many years ago, when young people would come to camp, I would assume some things. I would first of all assume that they knew there was a God. I mean, I would assume that 40 years ago. I would assume that they had heard of Jesus and understood that he died on the cross and came back from the dead. I would, I would have assumed that they at least knew that story from Christmas. Uh, I, I would assume they knew the Easter story. I, I mean, there's some things that I would just assume that they knew. And so a lot of times if I spoke to kids, and, and I do every year, I, I would start with that assumption. And about the, the second night they were here, I would give a salvation message because I would talk about what keeps us from this loving God the first night. And then I would talk about salvation the second. But I've changed my routine now. Now I have to spend at least some time talking about there is a God and that there is Jesus and that he did come and that he did die. So now my, the, the night I actually give an invitation has been slid a few nights because I need to have more prep time because the kids coming know less about the scriptures. Um, that's been one big thing I've seen. I, I don't know if, if you've seen that or if there's other things in your life where you're going, yeah, 20 years ago we did this, now we're doing this. Yeah, I would definitely say I agree with that 100%. One of the things with our ministry is I am quite involved in the school system, so I'm around kids that come because of friends invite and stuff like that, and probably 40% of the kids that come to our youth ministry uh, have no church affiliation at all. And that is one of the things I don't know how many times I've had it in the last 10 years where a student will walk into the church building and say, this is the first time I've ever been in a church. And that being said, you are starting at ground zero because what they know about God, what they believe, who is Jesus, those are all things that you have to do the groundwork where when I first started in youth ministry, I had all church kids and all the church kids that at least had heard the story. Right but not that today. Um, that is one of the big things in the moral deterioration of our country. You know, in the last 20 years, what I have seen has, yeah, it, it's been catastrophic. Yeah, it's really hard for the young people right now to figure out what is uh, right and wrong, and they don't like using those terms. You know what else I find interesting, Bill, is a lot of times I have to convince the people, the young kids that are here, or our college students in the Nicolay Bible Institute, I have to convince them that people can be evil. Mm. Now, you'd think they would know that, but they don't want to call anybody evil. They don't want to do it. So it's like, 
okay, how do you deal with sin then if you don't want to call someone wrong and evil even? I mean, when somebody takes another life and uses it for sex trafficking or whatever, Mm -hmm. my definition of that is evil. Well, I think some of the definition, everything has become watered down. And if you ask a student if Hitler was evil, they would say, yes, he is evil. But we have watered down what sin is in this country, and so evil isn't really evil. And uh, taking another life, well, they maybe had a reason to do it, or, you know, uh, it was a mistake they made, or whatever. We don't look at evil as being Hitler evil. We look at it as... Well, you know, uh, we don't want to call it that because then we would make the person sound too bad. Right. You know what? Here, here's an interesting dialogue that I actually had with um, a lady that I met. I was actually at a place getting some stuff for camp, and and I was scurrying around and doing something, and this, this lady came and asked me where I was from. And she was, same thing, it was a food place, and I was getting some food for camp. And she asked me where I was from, and I told her, and she goes, oh, can I work there? And I thought, okay, you're asking for a job. I'm in the middle of this other thing, and you want you want to work there. Uh, I said, well, you know, if you're a Christian, I thought, okay, God, I'm going to just go right for the jugular here. You know, so I said, well, if you're a Christian, maybe I'll consider. He goes, oh, I can be that, she said. I thought, can be that? I, so I started talking to her. You know, I mean, obviously the door was open. You can be a Christian. Okay, if it means getting a job, you could do that. She obviously had no clue as to Christianity at that point. And as we talked, what, I was con- what she was bringing to me was, it, there is no right or wrong. There is no good or bad. There is none. And I'm, I'm talking to her. And so normally, as a teacher, I slip into a story mode to try and get the point across because I don't know how else to do it at this point. So I said, so, so let's say some guy saw you. You walk out of the store today, and it's nighttime, and he sees you, and he grabs you, and he throws you in an alley, brutally rapes you, beats you. And I said, is he wrong? Is he evil? She goes, well, he, he had some needs, and I satisfied them, but when I get him, I'm going to do the same. And I looked at her, and I said, I don't want to live in your world. You know, you refuse to identify evil. You refuse to say that what somebody does is wrong. Right, and until we identify sin, and it is clear in Scripture what sin is and, and uh, how it grieves heart, how it's rebellion to God— until we actually address sin, we're going to have this whole concept that there is not a lot of evil in the world. I mean, maybe the extreme would be evil, but for the most part, I am not evil. But if I'm separated from God, uh, I I have no chance, and I am evil. And we don't want to hear that. We want to hear how good we are. We want to, you know, even when you look at a subject like lying, I mean— we're okay, and I think we're okay in a lot of churches with lying being telling a half-truth. Yeah. But that is a sin, and we don't want to call it sin. We don't want to call it an evil thing, but when we do that, that is evil because we are hurting someone else. We are keeping the truth from him, whatever we're doing, and we don't say that. Right. You know, I, I, it's really, if you, I keep looking at the, the book of Judges, where each man did what was right in their own eyes. And, and when you look at that, you see a disastrous community. One disaster after another, several times, God, you know, obviously withdrew his blessing. He had to raise up judges to bring them back to where they were. There is no possible way to live civilly in a culture or in a world where each person does what's right in their own eyes. 
because everyone will justify what they do. And they will always be right in what they're doing. Um, one of the things I love to talk to young people about especially is the habit we have now of using what we should love and loving what we should use and, and making that distinction with them. So God made people to love, not to use. He made money to use, not to love. You know, he didn't make money. I understand. Don't write me. But that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. He made, um, he made um, me to be somebody who could be committed to my wife for life. He made me that way. And, and the scriptures tell us that if I abide in his word and his word abides in me, see, I'm his follower. But the next verse is what's key. It says, and I'll know the truth. And the truth will set me free. What's cool about that verse is the fact that it's saying, Dave, if you do what I tell you, here's what you're going to find out. It's true. And when you find out it's true, you're going to feel free. That's what happens. And so, it's, so I'll tell a young person, there's a way that you are meant to be. If you don't want to live that way, don't. But there's words for people who defy logic. And I think there's a, also a culture maybe within the Christian community um, that thinks that blessings are monetary, monetary that, um, you know, if I do things God way, God's way, he's going to give me a big house or a boat or whatever. But what he is going to do is when we do things his way, he is going to give us a freedom in life that uh, others don't know. If I am faithful to my wife, I have a freedom that I, I can go home at night, that my wife and I are going to have this beautiful relationship. If I am unfaithful to her, I have to creep around. I have to worry about that. And that is not a freedom. And so when these blessings we look at, they're not necessarily monetarily, monetary. They are a freedom to live life the way God intended us to live life. Yeah. You know, today as I was speaking to the young kids again, I, I pulled out a hammer and just asked them what you use it for. And, of course, they said hammer and nails, you know, yep. So I started to pick my teeth with it. <laughs> and I said, you know, you could pick your teeth with this. And, no, Dave, that doesn't work well. Well, I know it doesn't work well, but it's my hammer. I want to pick my teeth with it. I can. You know, the, the hammer has a purpose. The designers actually designed it in a certain way. And when people take something like a hammer and they pick their teeth with it and they say that's the best use for it, I think they're nuts. You know, it, that's all. I, now, you might say, oh, that's so wrong of you. It's like, really? Isn't that the way life is, though? God gave us life. He says, here's how it is. There's, it, it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult, but we want to be us. We want to do me. We look through the lens of me first and uh, if I want to use that hammer to pick my teeth, well, then I'm going to do that. Okay, that's dumb. Yep. There's no doubt about it. But it's me first. And instead of looking through the lens of God first, that what is God? What has the designer of this hammer intended it for? It's for a ham uh, to nail a board together. God has designed us for so much more than we think we are designed for. We think it's all about me. And he said, it's about so much more. Yeah. And I, I have such a beautiful life plan for you. If you are willing to do the things that I intended you to do and live the way I intended you to live. Yeah. You know what? And, and what's interesting is those who do pick their teeth with a hammer are just, 
they're looking for people to affirm them mm-hmm. and to say that what they're doing is right. They might even start a, a Facebook group for people who pick their teeth yes. with hammers. And anyone who says or challenges them becomes um, evil because they're challenged. Here, now I teach theology at Nicolay Bible Institute. Now what's interesting is through the years I've, I've shifted a little how I taught it. I haven't shifted truth. I mean, that's the same regardless, but just shifted truth. Here's what I find, and I'll throw this by you as a fellow a youth worker and pastor. And I'm finding that really what's happening is we keep doing things in life to be God. So when I teach about God, see, Satan wants to be God. Dave wants to be God. And that's the big evil right there. And so if I want to pick my teeth with a hammer, see, I want to make it right because and you can't judge me because actually that's a God characteristic always being right and not being able to be. That's God's characteristic, not Dave's. And so I'm seeing that more and more that people want to be God and they don't identify it as that, though. They, they identify it as you need to affirm me or you need to, whatever it might be. Well, there's this whole affirmation that goes around that um, says what I am doing is right. No matter who it is offending, whatever, don't say anything to me. Please don't say anything to me that I'm doing wrong. And as you said, they create groups, they create clubs, they create whatever they want to do to be affirmed in their wrongdoing. And when I say wrongdoing, I, I guess you could even use the word evil. They're going against Scripture. They're going against God's way, and they're saying, please affirm me in this sin because uh, I'm really good with that, and um, I want to be in, in charge of my own destiny, uh, so to speak. Yeah, well, you're not, and no. that's the way life is. God, God's <laughs> in charge of that. We'll, we'll find it out one day. What's interesting is we like to soften it a little, you know, where, again, I might say it's evil. Others might say, well, that's their choice, and it's not a wise choice. Can we say it that way? why don't I want to say evil? I, I don't think we want to even say the word sin. Last night uh, in chapel, Dave brought up the whole uh, thing of sin, and then when I was in the canteen, one of the girls uh, used a bad word, and I said, is this sin here? And she goes, no, I just slipped up. And I go, no, you just <laughs> sinned. I, yeah. I said, you sinned against God. You rebelled against God. Well, we don't want to hear that we're rebelling no. against God. No. It's really interesting how culture starts to drive the dialogue completely about who God is, when really the scriptures can tell us who he is. You need to know him from reading. I told the kids this morning, you know, I think I've read the Bible through, I can't remember how many times, but I think it's been 35 years at least that I've read it through. And the kids say, oh, no, you haven't. It's really not that hard. But I'll tell you this, if you start talking about God, and I, and I since I've read the Bible so many times, if it doesn't fit, I'm going to tell you. That's not God. Now, you can say, yes, it is, and I'll say, well, then you don't know him. But that is one of the things I think we see in our country um, a lot, uh, and I really see that with my kids, uh, getting them to stay in God's Word, to know who God is. I mean, you and I have hung out. We have built a relationship over the years, and because of that, I know Dave Wager played football. I, I, you know right. things about me. You are never going to learn who God is if you are not in his word. And, you know, I love these devotionals. Devotionals are great. But too many times we take and read the verse at the top of it. We go through the devotional as it is God's word, and we lay it aside. Instead of immersing ourselves in God's word and really seeing who God's word is 
through who God, through God telling us who he is. Yeah. You know, anyone that listens to this program understands that I often talk about, you know, the way it's meant to be. Just because it's so simple to me that there's ways things are meant to be. Um, I, I'm, I'm made to love God. He tells me that. And he tells me a definition of that in the Bible. He says, if I love him, I'll obey him. Now, it doesn't say if I love my wife, I'll obey her. It says if I love God, I'll obey him. And there's a reason for that. It's because God actually is always right all the time. And the only way to properly love God is by obeying him. That's not true about Dave Wager. That's not true about my wife. That's not true about another person. So you don't transfer that love to a person. That is uniquely to God. But we have tried to transfer that to ourselves because we don't know who he is. We've tried to transfer that to ourselves because we don't want to be wrong. We want to be comfortable. And not everything that we read in Scripture is going to make us comfortable. And, and that's not what called to be as comfortable no. we're called to pursue him and his holiness and so when we want to make ourselves god at it all deteriorate it, yeah. it falls apart well and that's that's the interesting thing as i said as, as i try and make myself god see i want you to obey me or agree with me on whatever i say whether i be republican or democrat or mm -hmm whatever my stand is on whether water's pure or not or whether there's climate change. You know, what I want is you to agree with me, and if not, I call you evil in my head because you don't agree with me. And that's not right. But we are willing to call each other evil because you don't agree with my political stance or you don't agree with my uh, sports stance or whatever. We're okay calling that evil, but when we sin against God, we're not okay calling that evil. Right. And why is that? Because right. we don't want to be controlled by something. Yeah. You know, I, I think, once again, I can get philosophical in, the, in things here. I, my, my, my master's degree is is in uh, science and education, and I've thought a lot of creation and all that. And, and I go back with kids a lot and just say, let me read the beginning to you. In the beginning, God. And I stop, and I say, got it? It's not in the beginning, Dave. So let's get that very clear. There's God, there's Dave. One was the creator, one was the createe, or whatever I am, created. <laughs> and, and so there's two different realms that we're talking about here i am not the one you need to know god is and if i really do my job well you'll know him by what i do and by what i say and you might not know me as well but if you know him it'll work and that's absolutely true but we do see in romans 1 that they served the created over the creator and that's exactly what we are doing in today's society. We are serving the created. We are serving myself over the creator. Yeah. And we are not getting to know this immense love that he has because we base love on how we know love is. I right. mean, there's so many worldly definitions of love out there. Love is this, love is that. God is love, and he loved us first. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. You know, you go to kids today and you just ask them to define something for you. And it's amazing how they squirm. Uh, define family. They don't know. Define well, love. 
Well, it's a divine family for them. Uh, so many with so many broken homes. What is family? Exactly. Family is blended families. Family is a uh, family to uh, uh, a lot of kids uh, in the inner city is the gang. That right. is their family. Right. Right. So they're confused. Mm-hmm. So when we use the word family, it's like, what have we just said to them? Because they don't understand what we said. I think part of our job, your job, my job, is to continually redefine things the way they're supposed to be for people so that when, when they talk and they hear or they read God's word, they know what's being said. Because, you know, the Bible, if you're listening today and you don't know this, let me just throw a real simple thing in there. The Bible wasn't written in English, so it was translated. And it's translated into English so that we could have a Bible in our language and we read it. And there are words in there that actually have meaning uh, in the Bible. But if we put cultural meaning to those words and ignore what they meant in the Bible, you could be in trouble for doing that because they, like for example, family has a meaning, marriage has a meaning. You know, I mean, a gender, God created male, he created female. You might say, oh, they, no, you know what? This is what God did and there's a meaning to it and we're trying to erase the meanings. So when you erase the meanings, it's like me taking a hammer and trying to get you to believe it's a toothpick. You know, it, no, this is going to be tough now because there's no meaning here. Well, I've had discussion with some uh, of my students a few weeks ago, and it was actually about divorce and marriage. And they asked about marriage, and they said, well, if they get married in the eyes of the state, I said, what did God call marriage? Marriage is between a man and a woman. Right. So if you are married to the same sex, is that actually marriage in the sight of God's eyes? Yeah. And getting them back to Scripture, what... What does God say about this? What is God's definition about this? And to make those things clear to these kids, hard because they have all the outside influences coming in and saying, this is what this is, this is what this is. What does God say this is? Let's go back to Scripture and look at that. Right, and God, God isn't going to be wrong. One of the, the interesting things for me is I go look at the life of Lot, and the last time, it, Lot, for those of you that are not familiar, he was part of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and it got destroyed, but he was taken away. The last mention of Lot in scripture is in Second Peter, I believe. I'm, I'm not sure, but I think so. And it says, Lot, comma, a righteous man who hated the ways of those around him. Here's a guy who put himself right in the middle of evil. It didn't work out well for him. Go check his life. You want to talk about a miserable man? Here's a guy that knew what was right, New, and eventually he was offering his daughters to a crowd for overnight, and his own daughters raped him while he was drunk. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. This guy is not a model. <laughs> but, but the Bible gave us a little flicker into his heart. You know, he was a guy that, that really did know God and love God and want to serve God, but he was in the wrong place, and he wasn't taking a stand like he should. And his life was miserable. You know, if you're listening today and your life is miserable, you, you need to reach out to somebody who actually knows God and knows the Bible and let them help you. If, if you are, I'll say a few things that I firmly believe. If you're disappointed in God, you don't know him. If you're angry with God today, you don't know him. If you don't want to obey God today, you don't know him. You notice that the, the issue always goes back to the same solution. You need to know who he is. And I invite you to open that Bible and read it and get to know who he is and realize that he'll define the words for you so you know what he said.
I thank you for listening to this segment of Younger Older. I'm Dave Wager, and I'm coming from the studios of Relate365.com with Bill Hilligans from Indiana, and we hope to do one more podcast together before he goes. So hang in there. We'll talk to you soon.